0: Spiritual gifts are the subject of much debate and contention. Cessationism and continuationism are the two primary positions on this subject. If you are just now opening your Bibles or your notes, I'll repeat that. If you're still trying to figure out how to spell the word cessationism or continuationism, we'll just go over this real slowly. But cessationism, c e s s a t i o n ism, cessationism, and continuationism are the two main positions on this subject. Within these two positions, there are many subpositions. There are many varieties of cessationists and varieties of continuationists. But nevertheless, these are the two big terms, the two main positions. Broadly speaking, the cessationist believes that the apostolic gifts have ceased. With the close of the apostolic era. The apostolic era would be the era of the apostles. So, when the apostles died, then that era also concluded in the the way of thinking that the cessationist holds to. In that way of thinking, the apostolic gifts are as follows there are three miracles, tongues, and prophecy. Miracles, tongues, and prophecy. So when we speak of miracles, think of, is it Peter and John looked at the lame man and they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. He rose up and walked, walked, and then he went walking and leaping and praising God, as the song says and the scripture says. That would be an example of miracles. The concept of tongues, biblically speaking, is an unknown language. And the interpretation of tongues, which would be a translation of that language, so that the listener can understand what is being said. For that, look in the early chapters of the book of Acts. And thirdly, prophecy the gift of prophecy. This is telling the future, making accurate predictions about things that are going to be happening. The cessationist believes that these three gifts, miracles, tongues, and prophecy, have concluded, they have stopped with the close of the apostolic era. It's very difficult to argue against that from a observation level. It's difficult to argue against that from... Uh, History and, and just observing things, because if you believe these things continue, you have to deal with the definition of them. When we say miracles, do we mean a lame man can walk? An amputee can walk? A man who has no muscle on his legs because he has not walked in 30 years, now that muscle has regrown and he can walk? And that's what miracles looked like in the biblical time. But today, these miracles are a lot more subjective and less objective. It's something like, oh, well, my back hurts, and now it doesn't hurt anymore. You also don't typically see these sort of people who believe in continuationism, who believe in these miracles. You don't typically see them going to local hospitals and going room to room Healing the sick, going into hospice where someone is literally on their deathbed, healing them and walking out with them and saying, no, you've got another 10 years. That doesn't typically happen. The gift of tongues today doesn't, I've never heard of or seen an example of this being an unknown language uh, or a, a real language that they did not know that then they were given the ability to speak. Typically, in the modern era, the so-called gift of tongues is more of a a babbling sound that is nonsense. By nonsense, I don't mean to insult it. I just mean there is no sense to it. There is no message contained in it. And then often these prophecies or or words that people want to give you are very inaccurate. Um, Hey, this thing is going to happen to you. Well, what if it doesn't? They don't usually work out that way. So oftentimes this gift of prophecy is, is, is diluted into uh, intuition. And just let me assure you that in the biblical era, the prophets had a lot more than intuition. It wasn't just a gut feeling. I do not deny that there is such thing as intuition and gut feelings and, and a, a sense of something about to happen, but that is far short of the biblical concept of prophecy. Um, The continuationist, or the charismatic, believes that all of the gifts are fully operational today, including miracles, tongues, and prophecy. Now, again, there is a wide range. I didn't really discuss the wide range in cessationism, but we'll probably maybe get to that. Um, The continuationist typically would believe that these gifts, all of them, are functional today. While it is not my intention to cover every possible question raised related to these topics, there's a film coming out called Cessationist, which does a much deeper dive into that position. Do I agree with everything that is taught in that film? Well, the film's not done yet, so I don't know what it's going to say in detail, but I can assure you I do not agree with absolutely everything in it, but I do think that it is a very helpful overview of the position, and so if you see that film, you will have a fairly accurate understanding of the mainstream cessationist position. So again, that film is called cessationist. This brings us into our text today. Point number one, we have two, two, two points. The first is the subject at hand, spiritual gifts. Point one, the subject at hand, spiritual gifts. Look at verse one. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant, He just starts it off. He puts the subject there on the table and says, concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be ignorant. First, underneath of this, these things are not a mystery. They're not to be a mystery. Spiritual gifts should not be like Area 51 or the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. Spiritual gifts should not be the subject of profound mystery or confusion. And if you've come in today and you hear the topic of spiritual gifts and you think, oh, that's good. I don't really understand that. It is as mysterious to me as Bigfoot, Area 51, the Loch Ness Monster, or something else that I'm just not very familiar with. And it's just this sea of confusion in my mind. Well, I'm glad that you're here today because um, these things are not supposed to be a mystery. Secondly, they are not supposed to be scary or freaky. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The work of the Holy Spirit is not the work of demons. The work of the Holy Spirit is not the work of something that you would encounter in a real or fake haunted house. You know, that bone-chilling feeling of the sense that you're being watched by something from another realm. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. So this concept, which thankfully this is actually going to tie in really well because Wednesday night we're going to talk about the spirit realm. I did not did not plan that, but it's going to come together perfectly. The work of the Holy Spirit is not like something that we would see on a late night scary movie. So when you think of spiritual gifts, I want you, if you have any level of anxiety on this, I want you to put your mind at ease that the work of the Holy Spirit is not like the work of demons. We know these two things, that number one, the work of the Spirit is not a mystery, and number two, the work of the Spirit is not to be scary for two reasons. Two reasons in our text. The first reason is just right there in verse 1, staring you in the face, in your hands. It says, I do not want you to be uninformed. That's why we know this is not supposed to be a mysterious, unknown thing that is like Area 51, where you're driving up there in your car, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a whole bunch of very heavily armed authority figures say, stop, actually, you're not going any further no, actually, the Lord invites us in. He says, all right, I want you to learn about spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be ignorant. So that's the response to point A, the not a mystery. We know this because our text says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Secondly, how we know that these things are good. How we know they should not be scary. They should not be terrifying to us like something that we would see in a haunted house or a late night scary movie is is it's in the name spiritual gifts gifts god gives good gifts to his children god gives good gifts to his children James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Obviously, James one is isn't particularly talking about spiritual gifts, it's talking about gifts at large, but that... Larger understanding of good things, good gifts that God gives, broadly speaking, can narrowly be applied to spiritual gifts as well. That these are good. They are good. Matthew seven eleven makes the same point. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Spiritual gifts are not to be this mysterious thing that we cannot understand, and they're not to be something that we're afraid of. should not be something that fills our hearts with dread. Spiritual gifts are not Avengers-style gifts or superpowers that are so powerful and unwieldy that you might accidentally kill someone while we're getting the hang of how to use them, like like Tony Stark in his Iron Man suit. Now, I'm not saying that spiritual gifts are not powerful. They are, but they are good. So when you see someone exercising what seems to be a certain personality or a certain set of gifts, and they're very strong and very in your face about it, and they're doing harm and damage with it, well, I'm not so confident that that is something of God. That might just be the flesh, or as we would call it, their personality. So first, not a mystery. Second, not scary. Number three, not fake. Not fake. Look in verse two. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. I'm reading from the New King James, but the ESV and others, other translations say mute idols. When, he, when the, this text says dumb idols, it's not insulting them, it's saying, no, these are mute, these are dumb, they don't speak. Why don't they speak? Why don't the idols talk? Remember, we're talking about literal statues, stone statues, wooden statues overlaid in gold. The reason they don't speak is because they are dumb idols. They are mute idols. They, they cannot. There's nothing alive within them. They are just stone, wood, or metal. These Gentiles, these pagans are accustomed to worshiping idols and false gods. That's what Paul is referencing right here in this verse two. You know that you were Gentiles carried away in these, carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. Now, they are still ethnically Gentiles. They didn't lose their ethnicity when they came to Christ. But that term Gentiles is used in different ways. And here it's referring to their their former paganism, their lostness, their Corinthianism, the fact that they were participating in all sorts of idol worship. So they're accustomed to doing that. They're accustomed to worshipping these idols and false gods. But these idols are empty. They're stone, wood, or metal. These The the word you hear, dumb or mute, I am not saying that you would never hear audible voices from the spirit realm while worshipping these statues either. And I'm not saying that to you, you who have come to Christianity out of other religions. I'm not saying that those spiritual encounters that you had in your former religion did not happen. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that those things that you experienced did not come from the wood, metal, or um, stone statue, that came from demons, the demonic realm. When that happens, while worshiping or praying to idols, it's not the stone speaking to you. It's actually demons. We've addressed that in previous messages and we'll probably address it on Wednesday night. So that stone statue to Buddha or whatever other figure is mute. It's not going to speak to you. Those marble statues in St. Pat's Cathedral That one might kneel down in front of and pray to Mary or some other saint. They're not going to talk to you. The contrast to that is the one true and living God, who is real. He is alive. These statues are mute, they are dumb idols. There's nothing in them, it is just a statue. But God is real. He is alive. And the Holy Spirit truly indwells each of his children. He really, truly does. And we see the impact, the effect of the Holy Spirit described in verse 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The contrast is here in our text between the mute idols and the speaking of the Holy Spirit through his people. You cannot say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You cannot say Jesus is accursed if you have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't talk that way, but the Holy Spirit does talk a certain way, and that is proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And that's what we see in, for example, John 14. When the Spirit is come, he will glorify me, Jesus says. Which is the reason why traditionally the Holy Spirit has been referred to as the silent member of the Trinity. Because the work of the Spirit is not to draw glory to himself. It is not to make a show of holy spirituality. No, it's to make a show of Christ, to turn the spotlight on Jesus and his glory. So a powerful move of the Spirit is not a demonstration of the Holy Spirit flexing his power. It is a demonstration of the greatness and grandeur of Jesus. The Holy Spirit truly indwells each of his people, each of God's children. The impact or effect of the Holy Spirit is this when someone is saved, they're changed. So, why do people curse Jesus? Why do people curse God? Because they're lost. This is a very simple argument that is being made right here in verse 3. They curse Jesus because they are not possessed by the Holy Spirit. They're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They are not indwelt by the third person of the Trinity. If you are involved or observing this um, significant contention on the internet about cultural Christianity, It's important to recognize this, that considering yourself a Christian because America is Christian, but yet you would have no problem with cursing Jesus. You think nothing of honoring Jesus, but you consider yourself a Christian. Well, because you're not a Muslim. You're certainly not a Muslim. I don't like the Muslims. Or you're not... Practicing some Eastern religion, you're not a Buddhist or Hindu, but oh, I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. Because I was baptized as a baby, so I'm this cultural Christian. I'm here to tell you that no one says Jesus is accursed who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's not enough to consider yourself Christian ish. You need to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You need to have this third person of the Trinity come inside of you and take up residence among you and and take over your life and control your life. The way that happens is not by focusing on the Holy Spirit, it's by trusting in Jesus. It's by repenting of your sin and believing the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came into the world, he lived a sinless life, he died a substitutionary death, and he rose victoriously on the third day over sin, including your sin and mine. And then, so he rose, and now he calls all men everywhere, and women, to repent of their sin and to trust in him. To have this newness of life, to have this forgiveness And when a person believes that Jesus Christ is Lord, the reason that happened is because of the Holy Spirit. Because no one says that Jesus is Lord apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, you pause, and by the way, anyone who ever does any speaking, please consider the logical questions that would be raised in the minds of your listeners. If you don't do that, you're not doing a good job. You need to anticipate the logical, natural questions that the the thinking person would ask. And the thinking person would ask, now I have heard a lot of people say Jesus is Lord who are not, in fact, Christian. So, what about that? Well, I'm glad that you asked that question. I'm glad that you're thinking and paying attention. When our text here says this, it's the same as when Romans 10 says that if you... um, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. There is a difference between just merely saying the words and actually believing them. There is a dramatic difference between them. And the assumption in our text is that the one who confesses Jesus as Lord believes that Jesus is Lord. That is bound up in the term confession, confessing. In our text here, it says no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Yes, people say all sorts of things. People get baptized and they're no more Christian than, they're less Christian than the chair that you're sitting on. At least the chair you're sitting on is in church every week. The assumption within this text is that these people that have gone from worshiping idols and bowing down to statues and participating in the Corinthian idolatry and now have come out of that and they've been baptized and at their baptism they said, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. And they're doing that and they're saying that at tremendous cost to themselves. at the, the, Being rejected by their family and friends and their associates and their co-workers and they're losing so much to say Jesus is Lord. Those people are doing that because of the Holy Spirit. And only because of the Holy Spirit. Not those evil spirits, not the demons, not the idols, also not themselves. They're not doing this because they're better than the others. They're doing this because the Holy Spirit came into them and gave them life. The Holy Spirit indwelt them, regenerated them, saved them. The song that says, then your spirit gave me life. That's what happens at conversion, and that's what happens at every conversion. It's not an unusual, remarkable second work of grace. It is remarkable, but it's standard for every Christian. Um, Let's see, where are we? Why do people affirm the Lordship of Jesus Christ? It's because they have the Holy Spirit, or rather the Holy Spirit has them. People curse Jesus because they're lost. They're not possessed by the Holy Spirit. This brings us into point number two. So point one is the subject at hand, spiritual gifts. Now in Pauline fashion here in the book of Corinthians, he announces his topic, then he does this little loop. Because remember, we're talking about spiritual gifts, but we just haven't been talking about spiritual gifts for the last like 20 minutes. We're talking about other things. Now we're going to get back to the subject at hand, point two. Verses 4 through 11, spiritual gifts. Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So there are various gifts, but there is one gift giver. The fact that there is one person giving gifts should not make you think that because that person is giving the gifts, that all the gifts will be the same. Now, you might have a relative who works at a certain place, and because of that, um, all the gifts are the same. Um, so, my uncle who works at a Pepsi plant in Pennsylvania—it's um, like, oh, it's your birthday! Guess what you're getting. A Pepsi t-shirt. Oh, it's, it's your birthday. Guess what you're getting? A Pepsi t-shirt. It's, it's Matthew's birthday. Guess what you're getting? A Pepsi t-shirt. This is not like that. And also, my uncle's not really like that. But there have been a few Pepsi t-shirts here and there. This is actually more like, hopefully, your mom at Christmas time. I don't know if it was this way for many of you, but it, it's this way in the house I grew up in where, Yeah. Sure, the the present might say from mom and dad, but we all know that mom is the one who actually walked around the store looking for the things, (laughs) especially if it's a colorful thing. Like it's, it's a plastic toy that was purchased from the toy aisle. Like mom's the one who walked around and found that. But she doesn't give the same gift to everybody in the family. The babies get baby toys. The toddlers get toddler toys. The 12-year-old gets certain things that the 12-year-old would like. And the, the teenagers, well, not really sure what to get them. So in that way, there is one gift giver, but there's a variety of gifts. Not every gift is the same. So there actually is some mystery as you're opening up the packages. And you're like, oh, I wonder what's in this. And you actually don't know because... Now, the the implication of this, there are many, but one is do not become proud or puffed up because of your gifts and your abilities because you have a different gift than someone else. Well, your gift came from God and your gift came from the same God that gave someone else a different gift. So the fact that you have the one gift and not the other gift doesn't make you better. It just means that God chose to give you this thing and he gave that person that thing. Uh, verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So you see someone who has a certain spiritual gifting, and you look at that, and you might be tempted to be jealous. Or you, you might even say, Oh, well, that person's not a Christian because their gift is very different from mine, and it sure looks like a different thing going on over there. Well, no, it's, if it is of the Spirit, it's of the same Spirit. There are differences in ministries, but the same Lord. Churches don't need to be so narrow that only a certain type of person is able to be there. Only a certain personality type or certain gifting type. You know, like the church of extroverts. If you're an introvert, sorry, you just, you're just going to have a hard time. Or the church of introverts. Just imagine that for a second. You're like, you come in and everyone's just sitting by themselves and there's about two seats between each person and nobody's talking to anybody else. Just, How are you? Fine. Smiling very, and genuinely, truly, they're quite fine. And you're like, oh, well, I want someone to talk to. And it's just ice. Like, nobody wants to talk. We shouldn't be so narrow in our, in our way of doing things that we expect that everybody who is truly spiritual or truly a Christian is going to be gifted just like me or just like, you, you recognize often that with each gift also comes certain liabilities too. With a strength also comes a weakness. The person who has tremendous enthusiasm and faith and energy to go do things is probably not as gifted in a lot of the details of the things. And so you're sitting there frustrated because the person with all these grand plans hasn't taken care of some of the details. Well, you need to figure out how to work with each other in spite of your strengths and weaknesses and not say, well, they they must not be a Christian because they're not as organized as I am. Uh, Verse six, there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Um, So, the first subpoint is various gifts, but one giver. The second, verse seven, is every Christian has been given the Holy Spirit. Verse seven. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Every Christian has been given the Holy Spirit. And the reason for being given not just the Holy Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit is for the edification, for the building up, for the encouragement of all, the whole. Not just you, but others. So if you're a Christian here, you need to recognize that the fact that you're a Christian means God has given you certain spiritual gifts, and those gifts are not for you, but they're for others. So that means when you come to church, if you're a believer, you're sitting here, at the end of the service, you should not be thinking, boy, I sure hope someone else comes up and says hi to me. Instead, you should be thinking, I wonder if there's any visitors that I should go speak to and encourage them. Or, oh, I see that person who, you know, I've, I've seen them 50 times, but I don't really know who they are. Or they look sad. Maybe I'll just try to encourage them. These are simple examples. Not every Christian has been given the Holy Spirit, and every Christian has been given spiritual gifts. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. I've spoken about this a few times, but the the, the chart or the, the trajectory of the Christian life, when a person is saved, that's when the Holy Spirit indwells them. And so that's when they begin to grow spiritually. That's when their life starts looking like an upward-trending heart monitor, heart rate monitor. It's not that they get saved and then they continue to flatline indefinitely until this definite point where they um, dedicate their life and then they receive the Holy Spirit and then they start living this deeper life, high life, spiritual life sort of thing. You know, you've got salvation, but then you've got consecration. No, that's not the right paradigm. It's not the right way of thinking about these things. Every Christian has been given the Holy Spirit, and if you do not have the Spirit dwelling in you, then you are, in fact, not a Christian. What does this mean practically? This means that when you are a Christian, there's something inside of you that we would call a new heart (laughs) that desires Jesus, desires his word, it loves the Lord. This new heart that you've been given loves Christ. It loves other Christians just naturally. That's it's, it's like the shopping cart with the wheel that's bad, except it's the wheel that's good. And the inclination is, I love people because they're made in the image of God. I love Christians because they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And the one who says, I hate people, there's a lot of Bible they haven't read and they're probably lost. First John 4 tells us that Christians are marked by their love. Not only that, but the Christian who has the spirit indwelling them, they've been regenerated, they have this new heart. They also love his word. They find his word, they find the Bible um, good. They find it compelling, they find it interesting. It's something that they're drawn to instead of something they're repelled by. There are plenty more things we could mention, but these are just a couple basic ones. So every Christian has been given the Holy Spirit, and then every Christian has been given spiritual gifts. You might be thinking, okay, well, I'm not. I'm I'm the person who has no gifts. I have no talents, no skills, no abilities. I'm just here, and I'm just hoping. I'm glad to be here today. And I'll say to you, we're we're glad that you're here too. And we're hoping too." But you have been given gifts, at least one, and you might not know what they are. It's funny doing these membership interviews, and if you think that I'm about to talk about you right now, I, I am, but I'm not going to say anyone's name. Um, so in membership interviews, <laughs> in membership interviews, it comes the point where I say, how would you like to serve in the church? And then the person goes, oh, well, I can do this and that and the other. Or they say, Ah, oh, I, I can't, I don't have any gifts. I can't do anything. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not a musician. And then they think, well, like, that's what it is to be gifted, is to be able to be a musician. Well, I'll encourage you that that is not accurate. There's plenty of unsaved musicians out there. And also, music is not listed in any of these lists of spiritual gifts. But if you think, no, I don't really either, I don't have spiritual gifts or I don't know what they are, that's fine. Just get plugged in, be faithful, show up, look for ways to serve, look for ways to encourage and to help other people. Broadly speaking, all spiritual gifts fall into one of two buckets, one of two categories, and that is speaking gifts and serving gifts. So a speaking gift is. Speaking, talking. Serving gift is the, the behind-the-scenes things, the acts of kindness. You see, you know, so-and-so is not here today. Oh, well, I, were they here last week? I'm not sure. Let me ask, you know, Andy, was, you know, Thomas here last week? And I'm like, I don't know. Ask uh, the, their small group leader. And then you you keep asking and you find out that that person hasn't been here for three weeks. And then you say, well, let me Uh, Let me send them a card in the mail. Like, I'll I'll write a a card. Just to encourage them. Or let me send them something. I'll I'll send them something on Uber Eats, or I will find a way. These behind-the-scenes things are acts of service. Obviously, there are physical actions that can be done. There's cleaning, vacuuming, organizing things, planning things, helping make, make things run smoothly. There's all sorts of ways to serve in the church besides simply playing the piano, singing, playing guitar, playing these sort of things. Those are good, and I'm very thankful for them. And we need more musicians, by the way, if you are a member of the church. Um, and you can read music. That's important. Um, the reason for the Holy Spirit's gifts is for the benefit of the body. It is for the benefit of the whole. It's not for you. So if you're a musician, just have that pause and, and ca- cause you to stop and think wait, wait, wait. If I wanted to sing, I wanted to sing so that people would see me sing and say, wow, you've got a great voice. That's not the purpose of gifts. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to bless others. So the person who is a Christian who is thinking biblically, they should be looking around and thinking, well, how can I bless them? And the way we're structured and we're set up is that that's primarily uh, your first round of making that happen would be in your, your inner circle, which would be your small group. Which is not supposed to be everybody. It's just the, the people that you actually see on a more regular basis. How can I serve the body? Well, start by serving your small group. Talk to your small group leader and say, hey, is there a way I can serve? And they look at you and say, well, you could start by doing your homework, you know, for the lesson. Or you could start by showing up every week. Maybe they won't say it as snarky as what I'm saying. But they're just basic things that you need to do. Your first ministry is a ministry of showing up. And then after that, once you've got that down, then you can take the next baby step. The reason for these gifts, the reason for the Holy Spirit giving these gifts is for the benefit of the body. It's not for you. It's not to make you look good. It's not to to help build your following or your brand or your business clients. No, it's for the the benefit of the church. And then our last... um, Subpoint is verses eight through 11, there are various gifts. The spirit gives gifts. But please remember there are also demonic counterfeits as well. So there's a list here in our text in verses eight through eleven. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit. to another faith by the same, to another, gifts of healing by the same spirit to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. I've mentioned this right, right here, and I think that it's because, I think it's important both for um, obvious logical reasons, but also biblically, it's these gifts are gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But there are demonic counterfeits. And I think this is why he keeps saying again and again throughout these verses, um, word of wisdom, through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge, through the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To help you remember that these gifts they're all part of the same program that the same God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, particularly the third person of the Trinity, is doing. That's not to say that there is no such thing as demonic prophecies. There are. And that's why I believe he's very carefully tying each gift with saying the same spirit. Because in the ancient world, they were very aware that there's actually a lot of spirits out there. And I think probably about half this room is also very aware experientially that there's a lot of spirits out there. And that in these demonic realms, there are very real fakes, there are counterfeits, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. So-called miracles. There are things that happen that are not human. But Paul wants us to be very clear in understanding that these various gifts, the ones given by the Holy Spirit, are in fact given by the Holy Spirit. So we have first word of wisdom. If we're going to like break that down, it's word of wisdom. <laughs> So, wisdom, not foolishness. God gives certain people remarkable insight and understanding and wisdom. This comes primarily through the scriptures, by the way. But there are people that can be reading the Bible day after day, year after year, decade after decade, and they just, they're still not that wise. They're still not someone that you would really go to for a difficult, complex issue. But then there are people that you go to and you say, hey, there's this situation, and it's got 42 different conflicting elements to it, and I don't know what to do, and I need some help. And then that person that you speak to, this one with this type of wisdom, they start talking to you, and suddenly the knots get untied, and the clouds begin to rise, and the sun starts shining, and you're just like wow thank you and that person is building up the body in this act this action secondly word of knowledge word of knowledge tied in with wisdom but not identical knowledge have you ever talked to someone and they're like an encyclopedia They just know everything about everything, not in an annoying way, but like they just genuinely understand things and you can go to them and say, hey, can you explain this complex thing? Can you help me understand the difference between dispensationalism and covenant theology? Can you help me understand what, Andy referenced the different uh, forms of cessationism and continuationism. Can you explain what that is? Because I know that you know. Thirdly, faith. Faith, the gift of faith. This one has always been interesting to me. People are tempted or inclined to ask or to wonder, well, what is my spiritual gift? The Bible says every Christian has at least a spiritual gift. What is my spiritual gift? Back when I was sort of in that frame of mind of like, I was 18, 19 years old trying to figure out what my spiritual gift was. And just as time went on, I started seeing certain things in my life. And I was like, maybe God has given me the gift of faith. Maybe that, maybe that's it. Because, well, then stuff started happening. I was like, I think that might be. Because I look at certain things, and I'm just like, okay, all right, it's not, doesn't really phase me. Like, oh, New York, okay. You don't have any money, okay. Like, well, we'll figure it out. Bad things are happening, okay. Well, the Lord will be with us. And then your friends or your buddies, the people who come here on vacation and they come here and they're just like scared out of their mind walking down the sidewalk and you're just like, bro, do you have any faith at all? Well, you jump when the, when the homeless man walks into the train and says, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, sorry to bother you today. And you're like, it's okay, like you'll be all right. And then you talk to the people and they're like, well, it's so dangerous there. And you're like, well, it might be, but I don't know, it's kind of dangerous everywhere. Like it's not, certain places at certain times are more dangerous than others. But you know those people that are just crippled by these types of scenarios, they can't imagine walking into, or rather running into a burning building to save the people that are trapped in there. No, they're, they're just they're going the other way. Hebrews 11 is a great list of people that had oh people that were noted for their faith. The next one listed is healing. An example of this is the cripple, the lame man that Peter and John looked at and said, "Rise up and walk." And he did. This is different from praying for someone to be healed. By the way, Every Christian who is the least bit Christian believes that they should pray for the sick and that the sick person might be healed. That's normal. That's basic. Both sides believe that. But I believe that someone with the gift of healing can actually lay hands on somebody and heal them, and then they're healed. It wasn't just the ibuprofen that they took. Next is miracles. Miracles. Like legit, actual miracles. Not just some, some kind of floating card trick that you can watch like David Blaine or something and, and see like, wow, that's, that's wild. Miracles. Raising the dead. Moses turning snakes into rods. And those snakes then eating other snakes because it's real. Like it actually happened. Turning the river into Blood. These are miracles. Sixth, prophecy. Telling the future, not just guessing, not just having an intuition, not just having some sort of subjective feeling. And I think that subjective feelings are fine things. Like you just have this, this gut feeling like something bad's about to happen, and then something bad happens. Okay, that's, that's a nice little heads up because you were a little more prepared. Now, have there been instances throughout history, even some famous ones such as Charles Spurgeon when he was a very small child and someone made a now famous prophecy about him saying this boy will someday preach to vast multitudes or something. Uh, Yeah, that happened. Did the person who say that make other prophecies and was this their thing making prophecies? I don't know. Did they get that one right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that a problem for me? No. Should it be a problem for you? No. Next, seven, discerning of spirits. Why do you think this is in here? I'm going to get a little feedback from y'all. So why do you think discerning the spirits is listed in our text? Does anyone have a passage of scripture that pops into their mind that's either directly or maybe one step removed from this? There you go. That's in my notes. You, you, hit the, you hit the nail on the head. First John 4, 1. Notice, he does not say, beloved, do not believe every spirit because spirits aren't real. No, he says, do not believe every spirit because there are many that have gone out into the world. There are many false spirits. So because of that, We need discernment. There's another verse. The devil himself disguises himself like an angel of light. So, because of that, we need discernment. We need to not be jumping on every opportunity that comes our way or getting hyped up about every visitor who walks in the door of the church. And I mean that literally. There's this temptation when a visitor comes to the church to be all like, oh, hey, did you know that so-and-so came today? And and, oh, he or she is so good looking or they have this background or like, no, just pretend like you've been a Christian for more than five minutes. Take a step back, put your seatbelt back on, calm down, read the Bible, have some discernment. We're not making that person an elder even though they went to seminary. We're going to give it some time. We're going to discern what's going on. Do not believe every spirit. Do not let every person who wants to teach, teach. Every person who's got a great idea for the direction of this church. All you have to do is just use this curriculum that I've written. Here, it's on my website. Here, just, here's my cards. Here's my information. Like these people prey on small churches. They're everywhere. So we need discernment. Much more that could be said, but we'll keep moving. Point eight. Tongues. Known languages. Real languages that you did not already know. That God gives the person the the ability to speak in in that time for the purpose of gospel proclamation. It is not just sounds being made. And then, last but not least, the interpretation of tongues. If you've got a language barrier happening in your church. You've got someone who comes in and it's, it's legit, but they are a guest speaker from another place and they don't speak English, or you're on some sort of mission team and they're like, hey, can you know, can Matthew stand up and share his testimony? And Matthew doesn't speak. Whatever whatever language they speak in Uganda, in the tribes, in the tribal villages. So what they're going to need to do is have a translator. Otherwise, nobody's going to know what he's saying. It's not that complicated. The gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues is the ability to speak in those languages and interpret those languages without having studied. But the people who are there observing and listening and that they speak those languages, they're saying, wow, his his English was really good. How long have you known English? And that guy's like, what? I, I don't know English, he says in English. So these are, this is our overview of the spiritual gifts, the various gifts. Um, I believe there are more. Why? Well, because there's four different sections in Scripture that spiritual gifts are listed, and these lists are not identical to each other. So we're talking Romans four, first Corinthians, sorry, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, um, 1 Peter four and Ephesians four. But these are the various gifts listed here. I do believe that broadly speaking, all of these gifts can fit into the two buckets or two categories of speaking gifts and serving gifts. If you are here today and you are a Christian and you're trying to figure out what your gifts are um, and you want to talk to me about it, I'd be happy to talk to you. But if you are um, kind of an outlier on the fringes of the church, or whatever, my advice to you would be, um, well, are you a Christian? And then if you are, I'd say, secondly, have you been baptized? as a believer, by immersion. And then thirdly, have you joined the church? Like, do you know what the gospel is? Like, is this real or? So we're going to cover like basic things before we give you the keys. We're not going to give you the keys. And then you want to serve in some way. I'll say, well, are are you planning on joining a small group in the fall? Okay. Are you going to be there every week? Oh, good. Glad to hear that. Um. Do you have a kitchen? Yes. Okay. Can you bring some food to your small group? And then they say, well, I can't cook. And then they say, well, you want to bring some paper plates? This stuff is not complicated. We're talking basic service. Looking at people and seeing what is needed. How can I help? How can I serve? You say, oh, I have no money. I am a broke college student. Okay. Well, do you have two arms? You probably do. Most of us have two arms. So you can help clean up after a small group. You could sweep. With permission, of course. Don't just start rummaging around in people's pantries looking for brooms. So this is my introduction to spiritual gifts. Let's pray, and then we will sing. Father, I pray that you would use... This message, use this uh, topic to encourage your people, to strengthen them, that those who feel uh, confused or feel like these things are mysterious or they don't understand them, that they would um, have an understanding through today's message that these things are not to be mysterious, they're not to be scary, they are to be um, clearly understood for us that we would serve for the sake of the body of Christ, that we would uh, seek to build up each other, not to make ourselves look good, but to help others. I pray that you would build up this church, PBC, through active, committed members of the church that seek to serve and to use their gifts to help and to encourage each other, not for their own glory, not for their own advantage, but for the good of others.